Welcome to the Soulful Sound Podcast, where you will find conscious, inspiring content to support your healing and transformation. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I want to extend a heartfelt invitation for you to be part of our community where more insightful conversations await to guide you to heal, grow, and thrive. Simply click the subscribe button. It means the world to me. Your support, your comments, everything is truly incredible and we're only at the beginning of this awesome journey together. I'm so excited to be on this adventure with you and your subscription is a valuable part of making it all happen. Thank you so much for joining, sending you love, healing and sound wherever you are. Welcome, everyone, and welcome back to the Soulful Sound podcast. I am joined by the awesome Michael Riley, who is a musician, producer, and educator focused on helping others to awaken their innate capacity to listen and resonate with the interconnected web of inner and outer soundscapes. Mm, You're speaking my language. Welcome, (laughs) Michael. Welcome. Thank you, Simone. So fabulous to be here. Yeah. I've never heard my bio read with such enthusiasm and <laughs> skill. I'll have to add like a little audio player and you can <laughs> read it on the website. That's funny. You know, I get that a lot on this podcast. I really mm-hmm. love reading people's bios or mm-hmm. just introducing you because the work that you're doing is so important. And I particularly love the, the there are, there's a whole, a lot that we can pull from that, but I love the inner and outer Mm-hmm. And I and that interconnectedness, and then of course the awakening and the listening and the resonance. There's something that really you know calls to my heart in in those words. So it's very easy to connect with them when I read them as well. Beautiful, thank you. Yes. So I start a lot of my podcasts really with just a little bit about my guests, your personal story that got you into the work you're doing today and where you are. You can mm-hmm. share as little or as much of it as you like, just giving me a little idea of how you got to where you are right now with this amazing work you're doing. Sure. Yeah. So I've been playing music basically my whole life. Uh, I started at piano when I was eight years old or so. Through my teenage years and 20s, I played keyboards mostly in bands. Um, and I still do that. That's still my primary instrument. And my the way my heart can express itself is just to sit down at the piano and just f- flow along. It's so ingrained in my body, let's say. So my hands just kind of, you know, I'm not a great pianist. I'm not like a concert pianist or even as good as probably a good enough to be a session musician, but it is the primary way that I like to express myself. Yeah. And um, during that time, during the time when I was playing in bands, doing, you know, I was playing in rock bands, but also kind of like electronic music projects where we'd have like people on turntables and a live drummer, and I was playing synthesizers. Um, I was always very interested in the sort of sound design and ambient textures. Mm. So that's a lot of what I brought to the projects I was involved in at that time. And during the same time, I was also had a pretty serious meditation practice that followed a pretty, let's say, you know, common American route, which is kind of like the mindfulness uh, schools of like Jack Kornfield, Tara Brock, Joseph Goldstein, people like that. Um, And so I went on a few meditation retreats and was practicing at home and always kind of felt they were separate worlds. So I was involved in these, in this ambient music work that I was starting to do as a solo 
composer and producer, uh, I was beginning to create scores for dancers and theater companies and doing a little bit of film scoring even. And I had this meditation practice that I, I felt was very separate. So I had like my meditation friends that I would see on retreat or I would started going to a local uh, sangha in in um, Mount Airy in, in Philadelphia, where I'm from. Mm. Um, but I had my music friends over here. And all of that changed when I met uh, a, a composer and artist named Pauline Oliveros in 2007. And she created, along with Ione and Eloise Gold, a practice called Deep Listening. Mm. And with a lot, like a lot of things in deep listening, the transformation in me was kind of slow, but uh, a seed was planted when I met her and had the privilege to work with her and a number of other composers and musicians on a project in 2007, uh, studying deep listening and preparing. We did a concert together uh, as a basically a deep listening music ensemble that she curated and led. Uh, so th this sort of planted the seed that my music and meditation worlds didn't necessarily need to be separate. Do you feel called to use your voice and sound in a healing capacity? Learn how to use your voice therapeutically to facilitate healing and well-being. Whether you want to go deeper in your own healing journey or facilitate others in theirs, this training is for you. This online training runs over five weekends and offers theory, practice, resources, and support on your path to becoming a qualified sound healer and for your personal healing journey. Mm, yeah. And, and like I said, it was a slow process. You know, I remember in one, I went on a three-day silent retreat in 2012, I think, and I was practicing kind of classic Vipassana style, just paying attention to what is, just just noticing uh, the unfolding of reality. And I found myself really attracted to the soundscape where I was doing the meditation practice. And yes. uh, I, at the time I was living in a city. So when I practiced at home, I think my listening was very contained because there was so much noise outside. There was so much traffic and just sounds of the city. But I noticed on this retreat, which was in rural Pennsylvania, well, in the suburbs of Philadelphia, really. And um, I noticed that my listening was very expansive. So I was really taking in a wide, much further field of listening that I had ever experienced. And I was really kind of savoring the texture and the details of that sound field as I was meditating. Mm. And it was just a really, it's hard to describe in words, but it was just a really transformative and expansive sense of self where the it, it it was difficult to feel if the sounds were coming to me or if my consciousness was expanding to meet the sounds that were very distant and far away that might not sound so profound but at the moment the, the feeling of it and the the resonance of it really changed and i said okay music and meditation mindfulness listening all of these things are really one current you know Mm. And that was a shift for me. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. So, well, for anyone listening, because you use the word deep listening quite a few times, what mm -hmm. is deep listening? Because, of course, we all have some capacity to listen in whatever way, shape or form. And there is something that's been developed in this particular, well, like you said, Pauline's work and, you know, what you've done and how you're bringing it all together. So what is deep listening? Is it that expansiveness that you're referring to? It is. It's So there are a lot of different, let's say, schools of deep listening. 
Um, Thich Nhat Hanh, for example, he talks a lot about deep listening in his book, Silence. Mm. And the type of deep listening he's talking about is more of a, let's say, a heart-centered form of dialogue with other people. So it's about listening with compassion and kindness and a non-judgmental, non-reactive state. Yes. And uh, the deep listening I'm talking about specifically with Pauline Oliveros is... uh, it's just an, it's kind of, it's almost a pun she came up with because she had a group called the Deep Listening Band with herself, Stuart Dempster, and a singer named Pantois. And they were doing concerts and recording in an underground cistern. So they had to actually mm-hmm. climb down ladders with their instruments into this deep underground cistern. And the cistern they were recording in had this really cavernous, long reverb tail to all the sounds. Mm-hmm. And so I, she started to just take a lot of the practices that she had been developing since, uh, you know, the sixties, f- let's say seventies and eighties. And she sort of included that in the umbrella of deep listening. And along with her partner, Ione, whose practices primarily dealing with listening and dreams practice. Mm-hmm. And their other collaborator, Eloise Gold, who talked about the deeply listening body. Uh, so a, a, an invitation to full body listening. And they developed through a series of retreats and uh, an online program that's hosted at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, where I'm a a teacher now of this practice. Mm -hmm. They created something called Deep Listening, which is, you know, she acknowledges Thich Nhat Hanh's work in Deep Listening. And people, yeah, they'll talk about maybe listening to an album as a form of deep listening or um, listening in meditation as deep listening. And of course, Pauline didn't invent listening. you know, a lot of indigenous practices and ancient practices are about listening. And we, we live in a sort of noisy media filled culture. And I think people are really awakening to the power of what listening can give us, you know, and how we can really connect with each other in this, in this noisy um, media scape, let's say, and, and how listening can be a transformative tool for, for presence. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really a lifelong practice. Yeah. And ironically enough, when people would ask Pauline, what is deep listening and in interviews and things like that? She, especially towards the end of her life, she died in 2016 and towards the end of her life, she said, I don't know. <laughs> you know, that was her answer. What is deep listening? It's, it's the unfolding. I don't knowness of the present mm-hmm. moment. It's the ability to be silent and to bear witness and to listen with our full bodies and our full selves to everything all of the time and remind ourselves when we are not listening. That was what she also said deep listening was. I love um, that. Yeah. It, it really speaks, as you said, this unfolding and this evolution. It's like it's there's there's no end. It is that practice um, and continuous journey. And I do remember years ago, because my my background in music and singing, it, it spans my most of my lifetime. But when I came towards sound from a therapeutic and healing capacity, and I went deeper into um, understanding, well, the, let's say the mind part, which is the science and thoughts and so on, but then the experiential and intuitive piece, which was just letting go and letting the sounds carry me, the silences always felt different. Mm-hmm. And then what I started to notice was the sounds of everything around me, like the radiator humming in, in the house that's giving us heat has a buzz that I didn't notice before. And in that sound, there's some harmonics. How come these mm-hmm. sounds are all present all of a sudden? They were always there. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
because of my understanding of my experience of the the interplay between sound and silence, can you speak a little bit to that? I know you're also a musician. You you use sound a lot in your work. Can you talk a little bit about that interplay between mm -hmm. sound and silence? Yeah, silence is a really profound and deep mystery, and it's it's uh, it's. It's, so we often think of silence as an absolute state. So we think of it as an absence. Um, I tend to flip that around. And this is something that is talked about in Buddhism in terms of emptiness. Yes. So emptiness is a concept that to Western ears sounds a little depressing. Like, oh man, there's nothing in here. It's empty. <laughs> <laughs> but really emptiness in a Buddhist tradition is talking about the, the substrate, the interconnected substrate you know, and you mentioned science. So this is the field, the quantum field from which anything can emerge and everything dissolves back into. So I, I think of silence as that, as that substrate, as that field of potentiality where sounds can emerge. And it, it's so transformative when we start to listen to silence, you know, mm -hmm. our, our senses are tuned to really focus on the foreground of experience. That's, you know, visually and, and sonically we're, we, we don't notice the space between the notes. We notice the notes themselves, just evolutionarily, that's how our senses evolved. But when we start to really pay attention to the pauses, yes, you know, to the silence, to those moments when we get in the car, let's say, and we don't turn the radio on and there's just that, that vacuum and you're mm -hmm. like, ah, oh, you know, and that silence has no end also, which is really profound. It's like, there are certainly pockets of silence, like in the car example, but we can't really find a, a barrier to that. So that, that silence that we're experiencing in a quiet car is the same silence that's present, let's say, in a, a church or a mosque. It's the same silence that's present in a library. It's the same silence that we find in, in deep space. Mm -hmm. And to bring it back to science, once again, we know that most of reality when we look as above, so below is empty space is yeah. actually that potentiality for anything to emerge. And that expansiveness that we think about going out into the infinite universe, we have that same expansiveness inside of us. So that's why in my, my bio, I mentioned the inner and outer soundscapes and the harmonization of that inner and outer. Yeah. And I know that obviously there is training in deep listening and there are a lot of different things that you could share about it. For anyone listening who says, well, that's interesting. How do I even begin that journey of uh, listening to sound with my whole body or um, harmonizing the inner and outer landscapes? That, I'm sure that's a conversation on its own, but can you speak to that a little bit um, into some of the ways we can begin that journey? Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, one um, one way is I actually host a weekly meditation on sound group called sound sangha so you're welcome to join join that it's free to attend it's every friday at 12 p.m um, eastern time in new york city time mm -hmm. um and that's a it's a 45 minute meditation class where I, i'll introduce a topic for 10 minutes and then we have about 20 minutes of practice where sometimes i'll do a guided meditation sometimes i play music sometimes we listen to music um, like recently we listened to a love supreme by john coltrane as a sonic meditation just like okay. listening <laughs> to that in a, in a in a deep listening way which is also really profound and beautiful to just spend time with other people listening to something mm. um, 
it's on Zoom too. I didn't say that, but yeah, it's it's on Zoom, so it's a it's accessible to anyone around the world who has Zoom. Um, so that's that's one way to to connect. Um, you mentioned there is for people that are interested in in really studying the, the core of deep listening, there are deep listening intensives that's off, that are offered by Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. Mm. But listening has no barrier, you know, and it really depends on your life circumstances. Let's say, you know, it, it's, I think it's important to be mindful of that, that some people live in noisy cities and they can't get out of those noisy cities. They just don't have the means, but if you do have the means to even find a, a park, you know, a, a, a city park or um, yeah, just to find, find spaces of quiet. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of, social dynamics too to this because uh some people don't feel safe listening and that's mm-hmm. you know, if they're in they're in their particular environment where it's uh it's uh, noisy or violent or or chaotic it's really hard to develop that sense of listening and you know i notice um about five years ago i was working in a an inner city school in philadelphia at the village of arts and humanities it's called and it was a project for kids growing up in the inner inner city to uh, they studied lots of different art practices. So ceramics and music, there was a music program and um, theater dance, all sorts of really beautiful things. And I was there teaching about podcasting actually. Um, And I noticed that a lot of kids in this neighborhood always had earbuds in, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that was a way to kind of curate their own sound world to kind of create a musical sound landscape that was whatever it was, YouTube or Spotify or um, because the soundscapes there were so harsh. Um, So ways to practice deep listening. Yeah. Like I said, if you can go to nature, that's a great place to, to go. Um, And it's really simple. It's just, it's just to sit still because stillness and silence are sisters in this practice. So Silence is the still is the uh, relative non-moving of air particles, let's say. Mm-hmm. So when we still the body, it's kind of an invitation for silence to come as well. Mm-hmm. And listening to sounds is a is a doorway, a gateway to one of the most profound aspects of Buddhism, which is impermanence. So when we listen to sound, it's like a common analogy is like surfing. So we're simply surfing a wave of the present moment and we're just noticing what's here, what's here, what's here. And like what you were saying earlier, that when we find that stillness and that silence and that presence, we start to notice sounds that were unnoticed before. So you mentioned the -hmm. buzzing of your refrigerator being in tune, you know, the pitch of that. We start to notice these really magical synchronicities in our sound world. And in every moment, sounds are usually changing. So they're either changing their their pitch or their timbre or the the periosity, the, the pulse. Pulses are changing over time. And so it's a constant invitation to come back into the present moment when we're able to sit in stillness and relative silence and just notice the sounds around us. And it's a practice, you know, I, I framed it as trying to find a silent place to do it and to you know, a, a park or even, you know, a church or a yoga studio or a library 
Um, but once you're able to practice in silence, you can start to integrate more and more real world examples of this. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, some of my work with a project I have called listening bodies with my partner, Monica, we do sound walks in different places. Mm. And sometimes we do them in nature, but sometimes we do them in home depots. You know, we go into big, big hardware stores <laughs> And just walk around in silence, listening to what's happening there. And um, that then, so then the, the practice starts to expand and you notice I can listen all day long. You know, I can listen and be present and treat each sound as like a meditation bell, bringing us back into the present moment again and again and again. Yeah, that is beautiful. I, I very much relate to that. I, I've been meditating for a very uh, long time. Well, majority of my life. And, and with that, um, I'm I'm sure it didn't start there, but it certainly is now a place where meditation can be found in the the simplest forms of you know cleaning my house and uh, or or just doing simple tasks, but also being able to sit on a tour bus when I was touring um, quite a lot back in the day. Everyone's busy talking and doing their own thing, and being just being able to sit still and go into that place in those environments that was really precious to be able to to facilitate that for myself because it really that grounding especially in that busy music musical uh music industry life um it was such a a healing and grounded way to approach it mm. um i do have a question about the listening piece because so far and i know that you didn't um speak directly to it this way but a lot of what we've spoken about so far uh, starts with the listening and obviously listening you're talking about that open body whole body listening not just listening through the ears which we have often as a misconception that we hear everything through the ears where with vibration what's audible we might hear through our ears but the frequencies and the vibrations are all happening through our entire energetic systems and so I want to talk a little bit about the um, let's say the inner landscapes so not necessarily listening on the outs for, for the sounds that are coming from the outside, but the sounds uh, that we might be um, hearing on the inside. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah. So I mentioned the quote from the hermetic emerald tab tablet, um, as above, so below. And so as we develop our ears and our bodies to become attuned to outer soundscapes, yeah. we start to notice uh, a sympathetic resonance that's happening inside, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you're doing, I know you, you work in sound healing. So if we, if we're presenting those sort of frequencies externally on someone's body, whether that's like bowls played on the body or the, the, the beautiful Koshi bells I see behind you or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, piano or, you know, even sounds of nature. So the, the natural sounds that can heal the body. Um, we start to notice that the inner body, the inner landscape starts to change accordingly. Mm -hmm. And I often talk about it in terms of tuning the inner and outer landscapes. And that's actually a title of a book. Um, um, sorry, I'm blanking on the writer's name tuning. Yeah. I, I'll look it up and send it to you. Maybe we can yeah, mention yeah. it in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. um, but yeah, it's about finding that we have an inner orchestra and an outer, there's an outer orchestra playing, you know, that we don't really have much control over. Mm -hmm. So if we're able to, uh, like you said, you were, you were sitting on a tour bus and you're able to have the, the, the presence of mind to drop into that state of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, often, 
when people meditate for a long time, they develop a sort of inner somatic knowing of what stillness and mindfulness is. And that's, that's part of, I think, the reason that's called a practice, because you sort of develop that, that somatic inner body knowing of what, what it means to be still and present and calm. And it's something that the outer world can't uh, disturb. You know, it's an, it's a it's a stillness. It's a it's a presence that we can develop inwardly that's untouched and can be untouched by the outer world. Um, and in terms of listening, um, this I think is probably more related to the Thich Nhat Han school of deep listening, where we develop our ability to communicate compassionately with other people. And then we can turn that around on ourselves, you know, and that that presents itself as being less judgmental, less reactive, less harsh with ourselves when we're, you know, all the little personalities that we have inside of us when they're having their discussions. We, you know, we can recognize, let's say, the inner child, and we can speak to and listen to the inner child compassionately, and and uh, yeah, just just be present and, and practice that compassionate listening for those people inside of us. Yeah. I love that. That is beautiful. I mean, I, I speak a lot about uh, the inner, the internal dialogue in my work in terms of voice, using voice, the inner voice, and then how you express and how you align um, that. Um, I, I talk about authenticity from a perspective of being a revolving door between your inner universe and the outer world. Mm-hmm. And so it's not static. There's always a movement. You come out, there's stimuli, there's all the stuff you said, certain things that you can't control. And then you go in and check in with yourself, pause, take, take, you know, take note, just, just sit with it. And then I, I let, I let that go back out. And when you speak about that, um, in inner the somatic experience, it reminds me a lot of some of those practices where it is really um, that intentional pause and and stillness to allow yourself to um, sense and notice mm-hmm. whatever might be unfolding in those moments. So I love I love the way you've described it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Noticing is just another way of saying listening. Yeah, <laughs> and and that's part of the work of deep listening and sort of sonic mindfulness is is noticing that. Uh, listening is more ju- than just about sound. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an attitude. It's a it's a turning around of our of our attention to become present to to what is. Yes, that's beautiful. And to speak more on music, because I've been so fortunate to hear some of your incredible music, which I absolutely uh, resonate with. It's it's so beautiful. Um, and. I want to know a bit more about your musical journey. So I know you've got a lot of different projects and that over the years, your path would have changed as we all evolve and grow artistically. Tell me a little bit about how that's changed for you over the last few years. Yeah, for sure. Uh, It was, I would say up until about 2020, the, the time of the pandemic, I was um, connected with a, a, a style of music that was, yeah, I was sort of in the art music world, let's say. So I was creating music for uh, art installations and creating music that I would present at concerts uh, for a specific type of audience that mm-hmm. was uh, interested in not so not so experimental. I, I hesitate to say the word experimental, but yeah, just just a you know, I was using a lot of field recording. So kind of using field recording re- recordings as a medium that I would manipulate digitally and mm-hmm. create these new 
sonic landscapes and I would kind of play with those. That was my primary instrument um, around like 2015 to 2020. I was traveling a lot. So I was doing a lot of recording of different environments. Um, even at that point, I was already kind of talking about it as inner and outer landscape. So I would kind of treat these field recordings mm-hmm. digitally in a way that would pull out for me what was the emotional resonance. So if it was the sounds of uh, a, a jungle in Costa Rica, mm-hmm. I would add these sort of uh, sonic textures to it that would kind of sonically say how I was feeling in that in that place. Um, yeah. And that sort of shifted for me around the pandemic. I had always had this interest in, in the kind of work that you do, uh, you know, sound healing or therapeutic music. And I started working in a program called the music for healing and transition program at that time. And I don't know, I think a lot of people had this shift in 2020 of the pandemic of like, really just getting to the essence of what is it I want to be doing? You know, mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. see people getting sick, some people dying. Yeah. We see life is short, you know, um, and the world was changing so much at that time, even before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just felt, I just felt a calling to, to get involved more in the healing aspects of music. Yeah. So I did this program and I started, actually started it in 2018. So I was kind of in the midst of it when the pandemic started and I finished it in 2022. And the Music for Healing and Transition program is um, their website's mhtp.org. It's a US-based program where you are trained to play basically improvised music at the bedside of people that are either in the hospital or in hospice. And that's where I was working a lot with with hospice. I shouldn't say improvised because some some MHT people actually have a repertoire of songs that they play. But the way I the way I did it was improvised because I was playing um, the Rav Vest, which is a, a hung drum type instrument called the hand pan. So it's like a circular instrument. Uh, people probably know this by now, especially yeah. that listen to your podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that, <laughs> maybe, what, what, but yes. <laughs> what a hung drum is. But yeah, it's basically yeah. like eight or nine or sometimes 11 notes in a circle. And they're all kind of in key with each other. So I I love this instrument and I have a few of them now because it it really connects my left and right brain because there are no wrong notes. <laughs> so you can kind of just get into the geometry of of hitting notes in certain patterns. Uh, and it kind of connects with rhythm and melody and harmony and it yeah. just has a really beautiful sound. Yeah. So yeah, I was I was working in the program and the program really teaches you really beautiful things. If anyone's interested in, in this work and in therapeutic music, I highly recommend it because they teach you a lot about like how different modes and scales Mm -hmm. uh, connect to different ways to, uh, to deal with people's pain, let's say, or anxiety. Mm -hmm. And one of the beautiful things in this program they teach you is that, um, you know, as opposed to music therapy, which has a sort of outcome based practice. And usually the difference between therapeutic music and music therapy is music therapy often uses recorded music mm-hmm. and they kind of want to have an outcome. So they want to help someone who um, yeah, has, let's say, anxiety or um, some sort of PTSD or something like that. They want to kind of get them from uh, a, 
a, an acute state to a more uh, stable state. Mm-hmm. Whereas the therapeutic music that's taught in my program is just really about meeting people where they are. So we would learn how to use tempo and um, scales of music modes, modal, modal music to really match the patient and where they were. And where I was, what I was doing was playing for people in hospice. So it was really people who were right at, at the end of their lives. And in some cases in the act of dying process. Mm-hmm. So the music I was playing was really about, uh, it was a sacred, it was really sacred. It was really beautiful time in my life to be with people. And the, the hospice I was playing at was uh, a, a sort of a low income hospice. Let's say sometimes it was even homeless people who had no one else. Mm-hmm. And I would be, you know, maybe one of the last people that would see them. You know, there was a, a really wonderful staff of nurses who were, who was always there and chaplains and things like that. But um, for the pretty much everyone I played for was just really grateful if they were conscious. They were really grateful to receive that gift of music. And so many traditions embrace sound and listening as a ritual for letting go at the end of life. Yes. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, so that was that was the work I was doing there. Um, mm-hmm. Was nice. yeah through through MHT, MHTP. So. Yeah, well, thank you for that work because it's so needed, and I think what a gift to be able to give someone in those moments. You know, there it's it's so precious, and and I don't take those those things for granted. So I celebrate that. Thank you. Um, I have a question as you speak about, because I know you're a musician, so you can speak about modes and scales and all the the musical terms that we will learn as musicians. And because I know, too, that you are working with meditation and deep listening, and as you said, there were points where um, there were some levels where things might have felt separate, because I remembered actually going through moments where I started to bring more therapeutic or um, personal development things into my life. And I was like, hang on, it feels like I'm cheating on music. Something Mm -hmm. felt weird at at that point where it was like my identity was all, I'm a singer, this is what I do. And then all of a sudden I'm bringing all this other stuff in. Mm -hmm. Um, But all of that is to say you marry them beautifully now. And my question really is around how you then underneath that embed the marriage between your intuition and then your your the science and knowledge that obviously in, um, backs up the work that you do in all the different forms that it happens so that intuitive piece really yeah that's a great question um, so I think I've always been pretty intuitive when it comes to music I've always been drawn to improvisation and yeah, just sort of trusting the process because I've done a lot of technical work in my life, working, doing like websites and computer programming. So I've always looked at music as a way to let go of the analytical and structural. Yet at the same time, there is it's like there's an under there's an inherent architecture and and symmetry and and order to music uh, that can be that can be met. So. Yeah, it's it's um I guess I use my intuition to to kind of balance the two because I do I do create albums and things that are using really specific frequencies and uh sort of precise mathematical formulas like I did a, an album about the 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 movements of the planets that used all the measurements of the size of the planet and how fast it moves and I would dial in really specific frequencies in my software to to do all that. Cause I love, you know, I love science. I love 
I love arts and I don't really see them as so separate. Mm -hmm. I see them as kind of like two rivers leading to one ocean. And <laughs> me, it's just, it's just different ways to, to connect with the absolute and the relative natures of reality for me spirituality and mysticism and the divine are the absolute nature of reality and the relative is the the changing the microscopic the way that we use science and engineering and things like that to um to get into the nitty-gritty of reality as it's of the absolute as it's manifest here mm. i don't know if that answered your question but <laughs> yeah, it, it it did in some ways. I mean, food for yeah. thought for sure. It it's um as you know, there's no wrong wrong answer. <laughs> so I I think that um I, I what I what I understand and like in that is the again it's it's referring to that inner and outer. It's there mm -hmm. is very much that approach in in many ways. I know for me when I was um when I was learning sound healing years ago and uh I was in the in the session and you know my my teacher at the time she gave us all the theory and we were talking about the science and then we were talking about the intuition because someone had said well how do I know that um, that this is my intuition and it's not just some, I don't know, internal dialogue that's coming from, you know, how do I know what, what my intuition is and how, or whether the information that I'm getting is right, you know, like the inner dialogue that often comes up when in, in these practices, and I work a lot with people this way now, is that, I don't know, is, um, is what I'm hearing real or is it right? Or do I share it? All these questions that the mind gets in, in, into play with. And, what I enjoyed in my own practices, um, well, let's start from the mind, a very simple reframe of, but what if it is? You know, it's just information. It's not something you need to judge. It's not something you need to understand. It's not something you need to be right or wrong on. It's just whatever's coming up. And then from the, the inner landscape, for me, it is it is very embodied and it feels there is a there's a sense and a knowing um, when it it's not about that logic or understanding what's going on from the head from the headpiece. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't have to make sense. Yet there is this sense of knowing and truth within it. And that's a beautiful seed for me where intuition then can grow and then you expand and then, of course, go through the motions of building a relationship with it yeah definitely that resonates a lot with me and i think the let's say the the science part of it is a lot in the planning you know yeah. so you, you're a beautiful singer i've listened to your recordings Thank as you. well and i know pr from hearing the way that you sing you've probably studied scales and maybe with the piano and have have like really worked out okay this is this interval if i want to sing a fourth it's like this if and you're kind of training your body to to respond to that but then when it gets to the time of performance all of that is sort of programmed somehow inside of us and we can just like let go and trust our intuition in the moment because we've we've done the work we've done the sort of meticulous work yeah um, something that's coming to mind too is uh, I, I'm constantly I'm, I'm I'm one of my favorite things to do is to to read about people fighting over 432 tuning, whether it's <laughs> whether it's complete nonsense, you know, it's just new age stuff, or you know, if if it was some diabolical plan by the Nazis or the British to to reprogram us all to make us tune to 440, <laughs> and. Um, you know, there's a lot of nuance in that. Um, but one thing I always 
think about is when people do use the 432 tuning system, so they, they, they take the time to, let's say, recalibrate their, their synthesizer, or um, they buy crystal bowls that are tuned to 432, or they, 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 they take that extra step to not just go with the default, but to, to say, yeah, I'm, I'm actually playing instruments that were carefully chosen, that when you look at the chart of all the frequencies in 432, there's all these beautiful patterns of whole numbers that we see in nature. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's just setting that intention of like, I'm not just going with the default thing here. I'm actually uh, choosing a tuning system that is associated with healing and with recovery and with with beauty, with, with aesthetic beauty. Um, and we know the placebo effect of that uh, can be as profound as anything else, you know? Mm. I don't know how you feel about the science of sound healing, but my experience of it is that the body has a a profound ability to heal itself. You know, we see that if we get a cut, you know, and, and, and it heals itself, it's, it's miraculous. Um, but, but often we either psychologically or, or from our traumas or our upbringings, we've, we've blocked that ability for the body to heal itself and I find that that using sound healing, whether as a listener or a practitioner, it's letting it's giving the body a, a signal that it's okay to heal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's like a soundtrack to let the body relax and just go, okay, I can heal if I if if it's possible for me with this disease or suffering that I'm going through right now. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I I literally in 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 my content creation this week created a reel on that kind of in a way, calling out people who say, I can heal you or letting people know, you know, that's a red flag. It is really creating the space for that innate natural way of healing. As you said, the body knows what to do. Um, And that is just creating the space for it to happen. And as a sound healer, all I am is a catalyst Mm -hmm. and an instrument to support that natural healing to kind of get it back into its, um, you know, like you said, a signal. How do we get our bodies back in tune? We just play the the frequencies using intention, using the understanding of how these notes might affect our energetic, subtle bodies and systems and let the body then find its way through that. And not just the body, the the whole being, which is energy, right? And Mm -hmm. and this for me is the fundamentals. And and I got a little bit um, like, ah, why are so many people saying, come to me and I'll heal you. I just don't understand that. So I did have a little rant. My reel will probably go out next week on that. So you picked up on it. I, I completely relate to to yours, your your view of that. And I would agree um, wholeheartedly. Yeah. 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 No, I think it's, it is important because sound healing is a pretty new phenomenon, at least in the West. And mm. yeah, there are some sort of problematic framings of it that, you know, um, I've worked with people sometimes and they say, oh, you know, my ankle hurts. What what frequency do you have for that? <laughs> and I was like, well, every, every body is different, but, yes. you know, so there's not a specific frequency for your ankle, but um, I will play some music and, and, you know, some sounds and frequencies and um, let the body, let the ankle heal itself when it's time and just use the music as a soundtrack to, to relax, to not yes. hold, to not block that energy. Cause a lot of times it's like you said, the, the body is energy and we're subconsciously and consciously blocking energies, the healing energies in our bodies. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I mean, I think the, the majority of the role for me as a sound healing teacher is to, I always use the analogy, and I know you'll understand, I said, when we're talking theory and science and all of these things that I'm using words to describe, we are taught, we're, we're learning the scales, and mm-hmm. that's all. And then as a as a, a sound healer, then there is that intuition, that being free to improvise. So I talk about the, the chakras, I talk about this and that, but if you don't sing an ooh here, or you don't use the red for the root chakra, is the mm-hmm. is it does it mean a different one is being activated? It's like if is if it, if that's what it means to you. Yeah. You know, yeah. so there is an element of okay, we learn the scale so that we can go off and improvise and just do whatever it is that we want um, on, on top of that. The grounding and the understanding of it is helpful, um, mostly because a lot of people don't understand. And mm-hmm. it's it's an it's an entry level into understanding that it's not just, I don't know, maybe spiritual and, and woke and woo-woo stuff that those are the words that come around a lot of this kind of work. Mm-hmm. Um, that people just think they don't understand. And so for me, the science very often helps to back it up for people to understand that piece. Yeah. Yeah. Science in many ways is the new religion of our times. So if you sort of speak in that language, it allows certain people to to come to the table and, and, and appreciate it. Um, you know, things like the chakras and the different frequencies of the chakras, that's also giving respect to the lineage of things like Nada Yoga. Yes. And the, and the idea that we do have frequency centers in our body and you can sing uh, certain notes that, you know, resonate and vibrate those, yes. those areas. And um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and I and I would love to know more about the improv side because as much as my background as a singer and yes I do know the scales and I do know um, I understand music and and the structure and order the mathematics if you like mm-hmm. um, when I am now in my expression and I know you said you've listened to some of my music when I go into the studio now to create it is very little, it's like the 70-30 in terms of head and heart, right? 70 mm-hmm. is the, the the heart piece mm-hmm. and, and 30 might be, well, uh, let's, let's see if we can play with something around this theme and just see what comes up. But when I vocalized it, uh, it feels very much, the improv feels very much like a channeled experience where uh, you use the expression, there are no wrong notes. When I first started this process, the musician singer part of me would be like, hang on, you're pitchy or hang on, that note's not quite. And then I let that go because actually it actually disrupted the flow of energy and the flow of the sonic flow that wanted to naturally come out, which I no longer, I just let whatever wants to come out, come out. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's a really beautiful experience for me. And I'm curious about your relationship to improv. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, that's that, that ratio of 70 30 that that feels familiar to me too i think <laughs> um no i've always i've always loved improv even when i was you know composing music let's say or calling myself a composer it was often just improvisations that i remembered you know that was all composing was i, like I would that. improvise something and just remember it and be like there's there's the piece yeah uh, or you know even even more sophisticated i would use software i would just like sit with a midi controller and just record everything I was playing and then go back and then re-edit it and kind of fine fine tune it. But it was always an improvisation. Mm-hmm. And many of the music projects I was talking about earlier, 
um, like the live electronic music, we would we would improvise most of it. You know, we would just have like certain themes that we could return to. But um, I've always I've always loved that energy because I think that people, whether it's a large audience or you're working one on one with you, mm-hmm. they really can respond to that co-creation that yeah. there is no plan here. This is all being created in the moment together. Um, and to bring it back to Pauline, she would talk about you know the importance of the, that field of listening, that excitement that's created by a captivated audience or or a single person who's who's there with you, who's there with you as it all unfolds and and gets co-created in improvisa- improvisation. Yeah. Yes, I love that the um, the collaboration, the offering that you know bringing all of it really it's it's so beautiful in in terms of um in terms of improvising mm-hmm. yeah i i, I want to dig a little deeper into that um landscape for you because like i said for me it feels especially in the context of voicing that i am i am free and there is a i use the word channeling but it might not be the best word it's just what came out at the time but it feels like a stream of of sonic consciousness that is flowing through me in the time. Mm-hmm. Is there a way that you could describe what your improv feels like from the inner landscape perspective? Yeah, it's very, it's very active and 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 it, it's it does feel like you're sort of surrendering to something that you don't know what the outcome's going to be. And for me, the best improvs are the ones where I'm so in it note you know note for note and like in this really beautiful landscape where it's just it's just happening whether i'm playing by myself or with a group of people mm-hmm. and it's just it's exciting you know it's 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 electric mm-hmm. and the best ones are the ones that you record these improvisations whether it's solo or with a group and you listen back to it and you're like i don't remember that i don't remember that you know where did yeah. that who's playing that you know yeah. <laughs> it's just this it's you're so lost the, the you the, the sense of the self gets so lost that you're mm-hmm. just like completely surrendering to this mm-hmm. energy you're talking about that that you feel come through you um that resonates with me too this idea that you're yeah you it's almost like you're channeling something beyond you mm-hmm. and you're also somehow challenge, channeling the past versions of yourself mm-hmm. that did all the rehearsals you know yes like you know you're able to play scales or sing scales or rhythms that you've practiced and have become so internalized in you um and also i love i love improvising in a group for that reason too that you have these these dialogues and conversations that Mm -hmm. if you just listen while you're improvising there's always something someone's always playing something new that you can respond to so when you're improvising in a group it's like there's no there's no lack of of new things that are being created. You just respond to it. You know, you can either mimic it or play something to go against it or support it in some way or or be silent. You know, mm. you can you can give space and just let let the one soloist play what they need to play. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love that. The dialogue, the conversation, the back and forth the interplay, the interconnectedness. And it's interesting because I do relate to that. Uh, only when you listen back, you realize if you, wit- you don't, you're not, you're not witnessing everything in the moment, right? We're just flowing. And then you come back and like, like you said, who played that? Or did that come out of me? Or mm-hmm. I remember in 
And this is a this is a really interesting thing about it for me. Now, I don't probably don't sing the same thing twice with my music and I don't go out and perform perform my tracks. What I do is I improvise again live. So everything is always shifting oh, cool. and moving. But I remembered in my contemporary music singing career days, um, which I don't do much of in, in the same way, uh, I was doing, I was um, singing for uh, a tribute band, a Pink Floyd tribute band. And the tour that we were doing at the time was the Dark Side of the Moon album, which has a song called Great Gig in the Sky. Oh, wow. So, that's lot one of, of my musicians. favorite vocal solos. Oh my gosh, it's incredible. It's one of the hardest vocals that I've Oof. had to do in my career yeah. to date, though. Nothing yeah. has ever touched it. But as you know, then, it is just a big, wailing, beautiful improv. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn someone else's improv. Oh, right. So you you did the exact one that she did on the recording, basically. Yeah, that's pretty okay. much what they wanted to do with the mm-hmm. tribute bands. It's trying to sound exactly, exactly like the yeah. original. Mm-hmm. And so I had to go as deep into learning somebody else's improv, which was a really interesting experience for me mm-hmm. because hers was so not, I mean, obviously it's recorded, it's captured. So their structure when you listen to it afterwards and that you go into it mm-hmm. over and over again, you can pull out the, the salient points points sonically mm-hmm. and repeat mm-hmm. them but that mm-hmm. was such an interesting experience for me as mm-hmm. we're talking about that remembering yeah. of of improv learning someone else's was incredibly right. interesting yeah yeah I wonder do you know like on the original recording do you, did she like do that in like one take or was that something I'm that, not sure if she did yeah. it in one take but since then I know that when Pink Floyd um did a lot of live music they always shared that with two singers or three singers they're never right. hard they hardly ever tended to have one singer doing it mm-hmm. um in live scenarios mm-hmm. which was interesting so when I did it I I did it by myself for most of the tour and they brought another singer on for one one um event where we shared it okay uh, but I did most of it so I had to learn all three parts of it that I guess that they would break down in the live setting. But in terms of whether she did it in one take or not, I have no idea. That would be an interesting thing to find out. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Are there any recordings of you doing that? I'm sure somewhere. I don't have okay. any um any online, but I'm sure I have it somewhere in the archives. I almost mm-hmm. thought that I lost them all when I had changed computers because I'm talking a good 15, maybe a little longer than that, 20 years ago almost. Right. Um, but yes, um, I'm sure I do somewhere. I'll have to dig it up. But yes, it was really interesting for me, um, those experiences, because it it was and then and then it was never exactly the same. Um, but there were elements where I would capture the main points that, you know, mm-hmm. people would probably expect if they're listening to that piece again. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so learning mm-hmm. improv, <laughs> it's an mm-hmm. interesting paradox, that one for me. Yeah. I know there's bands, there's a, a Grateful Dead cover band called, I think they're called Splintered Sunlight. And they they learn entire Grateful Dead shows which have long sections of improv and they learn like all the guitar solos and everything note for note. And they replay complete mm-hmm. Grateful Dead sets that way they, they learn the improv and they, they recreate it. So. Wow. Yeah. Can you imagine that? The, the, what has to go into that to make it come alive? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So tell me about your, your new album, because I know you've got a lot of beautiful music out there. Um, tell us about the new one. Yeah. The latest well, I did two albums and sort of the end of last year, one was called Indra's Net, which was, mm-hmm. um, it's a, it's a concept in Buddhism as well. And that one's a bunch of shorter, uh, musical fragments that were compiled from 
pieces that I share with people that follow me on Patreon. So I, I have a Patreon and basically every Monday I post a, a meditative soundscape that people can listen to for that week. Nice. Um, so this is kind of like taking little fragments of that, mm-hmm. of each of those longer uh, soundscapes and kind of doing little bite-sized tracks to to listen. And it's this idea of intras net that in each jewel of this net are reflected all the other jewels that are in this cosmic web of of interconnectedness. Um, so that was an album I put out last fall. And then the most recent album is called Sonochroma, which uh, is sono for sound and chroma for color. And it's a an album where I took the frequencies of of the colors of the light spectrum. So red down to violet. And there is a a a chart called the Angstrom that uh, takes the, the frequency of the color. So the, let's say the color blue and transposes that down because light frequencies are much higher, like up in the tens of thousands of Hertz, um, lowered it down into the Hertz that are um, visible on a keyboard. So they create it sort of um, melodic or, or let's say audible versions of each of the, of the colors. And if I have the album on Bandcamp, and there's a link to the, the full chart of those. So basically I took those frequencies and I created an album that's uh, that uses sonic color therapy. So you can listen, each track is 13 minutes long, 13 minutes and 31 seconds. Um, and you can listen to each of the colors, uh, the, the, a sonic rep- representation of the color and so if you're into color therapy and there's a lot of, uh, you know, some people call it a pseudoscience, but again, it's one of these placebo effect things that mm-hmm. if shining an orange colored light on you makes you feel good, please do it. And yeah. so this is a, an album that that's a soundtrack where you can use it in combination with color therapy, mm-hmm. or you can just listen to the colors by themselves as a sonic way for the sort of synesthetically to, uh, yeah. to listen to those colors. Yeah, that is so beautiful. And I, I have to say that I, when I popped in to check out your music, that I was so, I don't know, maybe the, I, I want to say the sonic nerd in me got lit up. I was just like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, yes. And very specific, but yet, yet improvised and, and mm-hmm. open and spacious. Um, but I love, love, love that. Um, and I, I am going to definitely be putting all these links, uh, these gorgeous links to your your sangha and all of the stuff that you're doing um, for people to check out your amazing work. Um, but I do have to say thank you because this, you know, it's so lovely to come together and speak with people and learn and grow and expand. And sometimes even for me, especially when there's so much synergy, music, therapeutic sound, mindfulness, and all of this, that there's always um, a a new way of hearing it, and a different reflection that is so breathtaking. So I'm really grateful. Thank you for sharing all that yumminess. Well, thank you. Thanks for the invitation. And so happy to connect and hopefully continue to stay connected. And yes, Yes, for sure. Work on some music someday or who knows? Yes, (laughs) I think that sounds good. And I do um, ask all of my guests the same question at the end. And that is, what is your soulful sound to the world? And that is a self prayer or desire that you Mm -hmm. wish upon the world. Well, there's, 
there's so, so much, you know, w- with media, we're really learning and hearing about so much horror and violence, you know, from Congo to Gaza to Ukraine. <clears throat> and earlier I was talking about the, the therapeutic benefits of silence. And if we live in a place where there is silence, that's such a gift. You know, so many people would love to have that silence, to not hear the sounds, you know, in the extreme cases of places like Gaza, of, of war, um, sounds of, of poverty, the, the, the oppression, the oppressive nature of, of, of many of our soundscapes. So um, I just wish for more silence, more, more space for people to listen, for a quieter world, for, for silent nights, you know, as we, as we sing about it in the holidays and Christmas time, more silent nights for people. Mm, beautiful mm, thank you so much well here's to more silence and deep listening thanks again for your time michael thank you simone thanks so much for tuning in your support your comments and everything is truly incredible and we're only at the beginning of this awesome journey together if you love this episode hit that like and subscribe button and make sure to check out our other episodes Thanks so much for being with us today, sending you love, healing, and sound wherever you are.